listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Today, as you saw in the title, uh, we're coming back with part two. I thought I was going to be able to get everything done yesterday and uh, just wasn't able to. So uh, we told you I was going to cover six weapons that defeat depression forever. And uh, so yesterday we were able to get through three of them. Uh, So today we're going to get through the other three of those from the Word of God. Good morning, Lisa from Albemarle. Arlene Tomlinson's in the house as well. Good to have you on. Uh, whether you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, I would uh, really appreciate if you guys take a minute and share the broadcast today. And here's why I say this message of the overwhelming joy of the Holy Ghost is one of the most needed messages after salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the world right now, um, especially the United States of America, where we now have one third of the population taking antidepressants. And uh, it's an attack. It's an attack against our lives. It's it's an attack against this generation. Good morning, Hannah. Good morning, Pam. Good to have you guys on. It's definitely an attack against our generation. Uh, The enemy is doing everything he can to seek to destroy. Um, But this is a freedom that we receive through the power of the Holy Ghost to walk in overwhelming joy. So that's why we're going so hard on this subject. And uh, of course, as I told you, we've been taking some things and uh, just really skimming the surface, but we've been looking also, this is the first book that I ever wrote, uh, Praise, Laugh, Repeat, Living in the Power of Overwhelming Joy. And uh, just a few things here and there that we've been uh, looking at in the book, but what I said yesterday, which remains true all month. What's up, Rodney? Good to see you. Cindy's in the house. Janice. Um what we said yesterday, which holds true all month, um, every person that's standing with Carolyn and myself as we're doing the, some of the biggest things we've ever done for the Lord, everybody that sows $100 or more this month of September, I'm going to send you a signed copy of this book, uh, the first book I ever wrote, but I'm going to make it out to you and your family just as a way of saying thank you for standing with us and sowing a seed. And uh, I really appreciate you guys that have been standing with us and believing God for souls to be saved. And uh, we've seen more souls saved in 2019 uh, than, uh, than any other year of our ministry, without question. It's been, uh, it's been supernatural what God's doing in the doors that have opened. And now with us going on television um, all over the world, four continents, 120 million plus homes that can potentially view the broadcast, it's going to open the floodgates for souls to be saved and people to be delivered. So it means a lot that you're standing with us. We love you. Carolyn and I love you and appreciate those of you that are connected with this ministry. We truly do. And we pray for you and we ask God to bless you. And uh, one thing that I I did uh, pick up from uh, Bishop Oyedepo, I thought, man, what a wonderful prayer that is. Good morning, Sister Patty, First Lady Patty Pearson Lee. Um, One of the things that I I did pick up from him that I thought, man, that's that's a powerful prayer is he prayed over his people of his church. He said, Lord, if you won't bless them, don't bless me. 
if you won't bless them, don't bless me. And I'm praying the same way. Lord, if you won't bless those that are connected to this ministry, then don't bless me. I'm asking God to bless you and your family. And that as you're standing with Carolyn and myself and our, and our children, that the same blessing that comes upon us comes upon your house, that you will overflow. And so I really say, um, I appreciate you and we love you very much and know that we, uh, we do pray for all of those that are connected to us. And as you know, we love to stay in contact with you. That's why we have the text, uh, messages and that's why we do the emails and that's why we do these morning broadcasts. And, uh, there's a lot of things we could be doing, but I value the time staying connected with you. And uh, because it, it means a lot to me to stay connected with you guys. And uh, so I wanted to take this morning to start off and tell you how much I love and appreciate you and believe in you. I believe God's placed an anointing upon your life to do what he's called you to do, something supernatural for the kingdom of God. And I want to start today by telling you that don't ever d- get discouraged or as the Bible calls it, get weary in well-doing. Do not allow yourself to get discouraged. Do not allow yourself to quit as you're doing what God's called you to do. You know, the enemy uh, wants more than anything for you to quit pursuing what God's called you to do. But I want to encourage you today. Do not quit. Do not take your hand off of the plow. Keep on doing what God's called you to do. If I could encourage you with anything on this Wednesday morning, it would be this. Keep moving forward. Keep pressing into what you know God's called you to do. Keep pressing forward. Faith always moves forward. It never retreats. In fact, that may be the first thing, if you don't mind, pop it into the comments today. Faith always moves forward. Faith always moves forward. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Don't quit doing what God's called you to do. It might, you listen, there are, it, it doesn't mean you don't ever feel like quitting. <laughs> if you didn't ever feel like quitting, no one would have to encourage you. The word would not say, don't get weary in well-doing. The reason the Holy Spirit inspired that passage and put it into the Bible is because the Holy Spirit knew that throughout the ages, people would be tempted to quit. People would be tempted to take their hand off of the plow. But the word of God tells us, do not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, you will reap if you don't faint. And so there's a harvest for you to reap. Let me encourage you with that thought. There's a harvest for you to reap. And how do you reap it? According to the Bible, the word of God tells us that we stay faithful, don't grow weary, and in due season, as we stay faithful, our harvest comes to us for everything we're doing for the Lord. And so be encouraged today. No matter what the enemy has lied to you and told you, be encouraged that you are not going to fail. You are going to succeed by the power of the Holy Ghost, no matter what God's called you to do. And I feel to say this in September. God's got some new things ready for you, got some new ideas coming to you. There are some new revelations from the word of God and the spirit of God coming to your life. I want you to, and and I've not said this, I don't think on the broadcast before, but I want you to be open in your spirit to what the Holy Spirit's going to say, especially in this final four months of the year. And here's why I say that. A few weeks ago, when I was in Washington, Pennsylvania, the Holy Spirit had me begin to prophesy in those services. You can go back and watch them. They're here on Facebook, and um, I believe they're on YouTube as well. Um, You can watch and see that the Lord said he was going to give us 
these final four months of 2019 as an on-ramp, if you will, into 2020. And that by the time we hit January 1, 2020, we'll already be running at full speed in the same way that an on-ramp takes you from a side road onto an interstate or a highway. That on-ramp is designed to let you accelerate so that when you get into the flow of traffic, you don't have to be slower than everybody else. You can be at full speed. And I heard the Holy Spirit say that September, October, November, December are going to be an on-ramp into what he's planned for 2020. So don't plan to slow down as the fall hits. Don't plan to back up or to let your hand off the plow. Plan to press in and to build and gain momentum before we hit January 2020. And by the time we do, we will be running at full speed in Jesus' mighty name. I believe within that prophecy, uh, there are things that go along with it. I believe that the Lord will give you supernatural ideas. Maybe there are people that are watching me right now that you have always desired to own your own business, to be an entrepreneur, to to, to uh, create something that God put in your spirit. I believe that in these four months, God can speak to you and give you that vision, give you that word, open up that door for you. Be sensitive is what I'm encouraging you. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in these next four months before we hit 2020. Because I can tell you, hey, Caden, I can tell you that what God's getting ready to do in 2020 is going to be so supernatural, it's going to make our heads spin to see the goodness of God in 2020. And I want to be in position. That's the key. I want to be in position to see what God's going to do in 2020 take place in my life. I never want to be in the place where I see God blessing others and see God using others, but for some reason, I've missed out on what he's doing for other people. I want to be in position to receive what God has for me all the time. And that means I've got to stay sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit and do what he's called me to do. So I don't normally do that, but I I wanted to take this beginning of the broadcast today as an encouragement to every one of you that are watching to be sensitive to the mighty Holy Spirit. He's going to speak to you, I believe, in these next four months and put you in position to receive what he has in 2020. And so let me encourage you right now before anything happens, you are not going to fail, but you're going to be victorious by the power of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers. You know what's interesting? One of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57, Paul wrote to that church and he said, thanks be unto God who always gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is a verse that you should put on your refrigerator, in your car, on the visor, keep it with you everywhere you go. Thanks be unto God who always gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the anointing on that. I want you to write that in the comments section according to 1 Corinthians 15, 57. I always have the victory. Put it in the comments. I always have the victory. I always have the victory. That's what the Bible tells us. Paul told us that through Jesus Christ, we always have the victory. Praise God. Praise God. I always have it. So I'll never be defeated. I'll never be defeated. I'll never quit. 
I'm always victorious in Jesus' mighty name. You know, it's important to say that even when you don't feel victorious. It's important to say that when it doesn't look victorious. When the devil's trying to put something in front of your face as a smokescreen and as a lie, that's when your confession becomes extremely important more than ever, is that you declare what you know to be true, not what you're seeing. I'm going to declare what I know to be true and not just what I'm seeing. I can't declare what I'm seeing. That's the natural realm. That's what carnal people do. I've got to declare what I know to be true. And so before we jump in today, take a minute and share the broadcast on Facebook, share it on YouTube, and let's get going on this because see joy, the reason I'm on this, that God doesn't want us in a place of depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. He wants us in an overwhelming joy and peace because joy is the strength that pushes us forward in what he's called us to do. Joy is the strength that pushes us forward into what he's called us to do. Praise God. And you're going to step forward in strength. Hallelujah. You're going to step forward in strength. Let me, uh, let me read you a verse of scripture from Isaiah chapter 55. You know, when, when we go to Isaiah 55, everybody loves to read uh, verse 11 because it's really powerful to understand that God's word goes out of his mouth and never returns to him empty or void, but it always accomplishes what he sends it to do. That is a powerful thing to know and to hear. But one of my favorite things is that after God finishes saying that, after God finishes talking about the power of his word, go on to the next verse, verse 12 of Isaiah 55, and listen to this. It said, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. So stop right there. You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Two things that I want to tell you quickly off the bat is that as you see that verse explaining, you will go out in joy and you will be led forth by peace. So catch this. Joy is a substance that pushes you. Catch that. Joy is a substance or an element that pushes you forward. However, on the flip side, peace is an element that pulls you forward. Do you see that? It said you will go out with joy. You'll be led forth by peace. Joy is an element that pushes you forward. It's a momentum. It's a momentum. But peace is an element that pulls you forward. And so let me, let me explain it to you this way. As you're going about doing what God's called you to do, as you're going through your life and you're accomplishing your purpose in God, there will come times where you've got to do something that God's called you to do. You're going to have to make a choice or a decision. You'll come to a crossroads. You may even come to a place where there's three or four options of what you could be able to do at that moment. And, and people say, well, how do I know what to do? How do I know where to go? You know, how do I know which decision to make? How do I know which job to take? How do I know uh, which, which college to attend? How do I know which person to marry? Well, here's an interesting thought, is that peace is the element that leads you. And I always rely on Holy Spirit peace when making a decision. I always rely 
on Holy Spirit peace when making a decision. If I'm, if I'm faced with multiple things that I can do, I will pray about each one of those options. I'll pray and then I'll say, Lord, which, which is your plan? Which is the one that you have for me? Where should I go? And as I'm praying, I stay sensitive. And as I'm praying, I meditate on those things and think, okay, now is this the way? I'll meditate. Should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? And many of you that are watching me or listening to me, you've probably had this as a believer as well, if you've been serving the Lord for any period of time, that there are some things when you just imagine yourself doing them, some things when you just picture yourself doing it or put yourself mentally in that position, you feel a pit in your stomach. It's almost like you feel sick about it. And, and that's, a, that's a sign. That's a sign that that's not for you. If you feel a check, we call it a check in your spirit. If you feel a check in your spirit. I recently had a minister call me and uh, he thought for a moment that he was going to make a certain decision. And uh, he actually took some actions to go and check the decision out and see what he, he was going to do with his family. And he was, at one point, he was excited about it. And he said, you know what, I, th I think I may do this. But when he got there, see this, when he got there and began to check it out to see if it was for him, he told me this. He said, the moment I stepped off the plane in that place, to check the situation out. He said, I was sick to my stomach the entire time. And he said, it wasn't food poisoning. I didn't have the flu. I didn't have none of that. He said, but when I stepped off of the plane, I felt sick to my stomach the entire time. Well, he had a check. He had a check in his spirit. And sometimes as the Holy Spirit is leading us forward, as we move forward in faith, as we get to where we're headed, the proximity of our calling can actually bring clarity to our choices. I'm going to say that again because it sounded a little complex, but it's not. The proximity to our calling can give us clarity about our decisions. Let me give you an example. The prophet Samuel, who clearly heard from God, he was a prophet of God. God spoke to Samuel while King Saul was still the king of Israel, and he said, I've found another man to be king. He said, so go to the house of Jesse, because I've chosen one of his sons to be the king. Well, Samuel was a prophet, but he didn't know which son he was supposed to anoint as the king, did he? He had no idea which son he was supposed to anoint. But what did he do? He kept moving forward with the knowledge that God had given him. He was obedient to do the thing that he did know to do. He didn't know all of it yet. He didn't know the whole plan. He didn't know who to anoint, but he obeyed the instructions that he did have currently. So he left where he was and traveled to Jesse's house. When he got to Jesse's house, he had all the sons come in or what he thought were all the sons. And when he stood in front of each son, see this? Samuel the prophet could tell by the proximity of his calling, this is not the king. This is not the king. This is not the king. And he went through seven sons. And after standing in front of all of them, he said, none of these is the king. And then he turned to Jesse and said, don't you have any other sons? 
And Jesse said, well, I do have one other, and it's David. And finally, they brought David into the room. But when Samuel stood in front of David, he knew by the Spirit, this is the one. Notice, he had peace about David. He had no peace about the other seven sons. And so he didn't know what he was supposed to do at the beginning of his instructions, but he obeyed what instructions he did have until he needed more. And then in order to continue to complete what God had asked him to do, he waited for the peace that led him to make the decision. You will go out with joy, but you'll be led forth by peace. So I want you to understand this. Peace allows you to know your direction. Peace allows you to know your direction, but joy. Now watch, here's the difference. Peace, let's say for example, I had three decisions, decision one, two, and three that I could make. Peace allows me to know which path I'm supposed to take, but then joy empowers me to walk on that path. Do you see that? Peace allows me to know which path to take, but joy empowers me to walk on that path. I will go out with joy, but I'll be led forth by peace. And that's the key. This is why the devil wants to steal your joy and to steal your peace. Because really what he wants to take from you is your ability to function and your ability to know your direction. See that? I'm going to say it again. The proximity to our calling gives you clarity in a situation. That's correct. The more you obey the instructions of God, the more you move forward into what God's called you to do, the more you can see. My father has always explained it this way, which I think is phenomenal. He said the gifts of the Spirit are like headlights on a car. The farther you drive, the further you can see. But it takes you driving forward in order for you to see more. If people just sit back and say, well, you know, I'm going to wait for God to give me the whole plan before I get started. You'll never get started because if God gave you the whole plan, it wouldn't take faith for you to get started. So what God wants to do is to see your obedience in following the instructions you do have so that he can then give you more. But as you're doing that for God, peace allows you to make the choice. Joy empowers you to take the choice. Peace allows you to make the choice. Joy empowers you to take the choice. So it moves you forward. And this is why the devil's after joy and peace. It's our strength. It is our strength. And yesterday, we covered these first three uh, uh, weapons that will help you to destroy depression for the rest of your life. Today, we're going to cover the final three. And then as I said, uh, I wrote an entire book on this that I would love to bless you guys with. And anybody that's sewing this month, 100 or more, we're gonna send you that assigned copy. I see my friend, Dr. Jeff Williams. It's good to see you. I love you, man. Um, Let's get into this now. Uh, Number four, yesterday we covered one through three. Number four, the fourth element or weapon that allows us to walk in overwhelming joy And to destroy depression is the mighty word of God. Ingesting the mighty word of God. Let me read you one of my favorite scriptures that's found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 15 and verse 16. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16. Listen to what Jeremiah said. He said, your words were found and I ate them. 
and your words became to me a joy and the rejoicing of my heart. You see that? Jeremiah said, Lord, I found your words and I ate them. I devoured them. I ingested them. Catch this. I ate them. I devoured them. I ingested them. And when I ate your words, they became unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. That's Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. This word is supernatural nutrition for your spirit and for your body and for your mind. I'll say it again. This word is supernatural nutrition for your spirit, for your body, and for your mind. Listen to what Jesus said about his word in John chapter 6 and verse 63. Listen to this. He said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Now look at this. The words that I have spoken unto you are spirit and they are life. So this book is spiritual life to every person that ingests it into their spirit, mind, and body. When this word comes into your physical body, joy comes into your physical body. Literally. Jeremiah said it plainly. The moment I ingested it, the moment I ingested it. You know what's interesting? You can be around food and not benefit from food. You can go to a restaurant, order a meal, and let it sit in front of you and look at it. You can have that meal steaming. You could smell the smell of that meal. A steak, mashed potatoes, carrots, corn, green beans. You can sit there and smell it. You can sit there and watch it and look at it. But until you actually ingest it, it doesn't change you. It doesn't mean anything to you. You can't benefit from it. No nutrients. Catch this. No nutrients from that meal can actually benefit your body until the meal is ingested. That's why there's people. People say, well, I go to church. People can go to church and be around the word. People can be around the meal. People can be around the bread of heaven. That's what the word of God is. It's the bread of heaven. Jesus, who was the word made flesh, said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. The word of God is bread. You can be around the bread. You can be around the meal. You can be around the word. But until you ingest it for yourself, it won't change you. It won't change you at all. That's why there are people that can attend church and still leave the same way they came in. Because although they have been around it, they've not taken it into themselves. They've not received it. And so the word of God has got to be received on an individual basis by each person that comes in contact with it. And if it's not, it can't benefit them. It can only benefit the ones who ingest it into their spirit, who receive it by faith. Let me just give you another example. Do you know Christians aren't the only ones who read the Bible? Do you know Muslims will read the Bible? Do you know atheists will read the Bible in order to debate Christians? Did you know that? There's all kinds of people that are not for Christianity that will read the Bible in order to try to contradict it, in order to debate other believers about it, whatever. But others will read the Bible. Now, even though they read it, it's not going to change them like it changes me. 
because they are reading it from a different perspective than I'm reading it. I'm reading it by faith. I'm reading it knowing it is the almighty word of the most high God. I am reading it knowing that it can never fail, that there's no error in it, that it will last forever according to scripture. I read it from that perspective. And when I read it by faith, the word comes into me and becomes joy and rejoicing in my heart. It becomes the bread of heaven in my body. In fact, let me say it this way. Jesus Christ was in the wilderness being uh, tempted by the devil and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And so obviously he was hungry in the natural and the devil came to him and said, if you're truly the son of God, take these stones and make them into bread. That's what the devil told him. Take these stones and make them into bread. Now watch Jesus response to the devil. Because see, Jesus wasn't out in the wilderness to eat food. He was in the wilderness to fast and pray and receive an impartation from his father. So notice what Jesus says to the devil when the devil said that to him. He said, no, for it is written. First of all, he answers by the word. He says, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but watch, this is so big, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So what Jesus is trying to get across here is that I don't need natural bread. I didn't come out into the wilderness to find natural bread. I came out here to get spiritual bread. I'm not looking for bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word from God is bread to your spirit. Every word from God is bread for your spirit. Every word from God is bread for your spirit. That's why even Jesus told his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter six. God, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day. There's a fresh revelation for you every day. There is fresh spiritual bread for you every single day. Give me, Lord, this day my daily bread. Give me this day my daily bread. Amen. It's spiritual food. It will build you up. It will build you up. And if you ingest this word on a daily basis by faith, it becomes joy and rejoicing to your spirit. Look at the book of Proverbs chapter four, and I want to read you three verses of scripture. See, this, this will show you that when the word goes into you, when the word goes into your spirit, it becomes whatever you need it to be. The word of God becomes whatever you need it to be. In Proverbs chapter four, verses 20 through 22, listen to this. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Here's why. Verse 22. For they are life to those that find them and healing to all their flesh. Do you see that? They are life. What is? His word, his sayings, his instructions, his word. They are life to all that find them. 
and healing to all their flesh. So when the word comes into your body, it is joy, it is rejoicing, it is healing, it is life. That comes into you on a daily basis. Those things come into you on a daily basis. When you relegate the word of God as an unimportant thing and just uh, wait until Sunday morning for it to come into your life, then that means that you're only receiving uh, an injection of joy and life and healing and rejoicing one day a week. Imagine what your physical body would look like if you only ate one day a week. Thank you, Sister Kim. I appreciate that. Imagine what your body would look like if you only ate one day a week. In fact, I remember reading the book, Christ the Healer by F.F. Bosworth. And he said something very interesting in there. He said that most Christians feed their bodies three hot meals a day and feed their spirit one cold snack a week. (laughs) That's an interesting quote. He said they feed their bodies three hot meals a day and feed their spirit one cold snack a week. And then they wonder why, why am I frustrated? Why are things not working out? You can't give your body more attention than your spirit. And the word of God is spiritual bread for your spirit, soul, and body because it'll affect every area of your three-part being. It'll affect your spirit, it will affect your mind, and it will affect your physical body. Do you know this word can just get into your body and make you whole? The Bible says in Psalm 107 and verse 20, God sent his word and it healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. He sent his word. He didn't show up. His word showed up and healed them. Hallelujah. And delivered them from all their destruction. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus met a Roman centurion soldier who said, My servant is at home sick with palsy. And Jesus, being full of compassion, said, I'll come and heal him. He said, You don't have to. I know what kind of authority you have. Speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled. He couldn't believe that an Italian man who was not Jewish, who was not part of God's chosen people at the time, had more faith in his word than his own people did. And he spoke a word, and when he did, that word immediately made that servant whole. Why? Because God's word carries life and healing in it. It's the bread of heaven. He sends his word. I remember hearing the story about uh, Pastor Joel Osteen's mother, Dodie Osteen, when she was diagnosed with cancer decades ago. And by her own uh, confession, she went into her room and she put the Bible on tape uh, on in her room and listened to the word of God every day. Do you know that just the word got out and into her body and killed cancer cells? Why? Because the word of God carries the power to heal to deliver, to bring life, and to impart joy and rejoicing. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. Hallelujah. So number four, the fourth weapon is ingest the word of God into your spirit on a daily basis. Ingest the word of God. You should have some sort of a plan that's that's written out of what you're going to do today in the word of God. What is it you're going to do? Do you know it doesn't really take a whole lot to read the Bible? Do you know if you were to just read nine chapters of the New Testament on a daily basis, you would read the New Testament every single month? You know that? 
Nine chapters of the Bible a day, you'd read the New Testament 12 times a year. Ah, generic club soda. Nine chapters a day. That's the New Testament every month. Three chapters a day, you'll read the New Testament four times a year, every quarter. That takes no time at all. You'd spend more time watching a one episode of a show on Netflix than you would reading nine chapters of the New Testament. But it's got to be prioritized. You've got to make a plan and stick to this plan and say, no matter what else happens today, this is going to happen. No matter what else happens today, this is going to happen. Make, let, me, let me say this to you. Make the most important parts of your day the first thing you do in your day. I think that that's the older that I'm getting, the more I'm realizing that that is something that has to be done. Make the most important parts of your day the first part of your day. So now, you know, with three kids and my wife and she's handling them and, you know, we have a lot going on. And of course, we're doing everything for the ministry and traveling. And I made up in my mind that I was going to take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit and take care of my spirit and my mind all at the same time. So I've, I've packed all of that into an hour and a half of my morning, you know, and I have to prioritize that. It has to be first. You have to make choices. Are you going to sleep through your day or are you going to get up early and make the most important things the first things? You can't leave it till later. You only have, you only have a certain amount of willpower to use in your day. I don't know if you know that or not. Will, willpower is, is not an unlimited resource, by the way. It's not. It runs out. That's why when people get tired, they lose their inhibition and, and stop making decisions. So willpower is not an unlimited element. You have to use it while you have it. Use it while you have it. And so I've just had to make up my mind. I'm going to get up earlier, you know, go out and, and do all my exercising, go and lift weights, listen to the word of God, uh, pray, all of the most important things done on the first part of the day done on the first part of the day. And it sets the tone for your entire day. Do you realize just doing that sets my joy for the day? I came into this broadcast this morning and every morning stirred up in my spirit. I don't have to get drag myself out of bed and say, oh my God, I just, oh, I can't believe another day. I got to get on here again, talk to these people. What am I going to even talk to? No, I'm excited. I'm pumped to get in here and to share with you. Why? Because I've started my day filling myself up with the joy and the peace of the Holy Ghost. I'm filling myself with the word. I come filled up to give you what God has for you today. And so it's, it's not a burden. It's an exciting joy to do. So what happens is when you make the most important part of your day, the first part of your day, it sets the tone for the rest of your day. I'm not going to wait until an attack comes to start trying to get into joy and start trying to get into peace. I'm going to live in joy before anything ever tries to come at me. I'm going to live in peace before anything else tries to come at me. I'm going to set my tone for my day. Like a thermostat, I will decide what my day is going to be like before it ever begins by what I make it to be in the first hours of the day. And I will direct. Here's the thing. My day will never direct me. I will direct my day. And I want you to put that in the comments section because it's an important principle. My day will never direct me. I will always direct my day. And here's the thing. That's, that's really the, the gist of it. If you won't direct your day, your day will direct you. It will take it will take out. It will take you out. I'll, I see Dr. Jeff is still watching. One of the things... 
that I really appreciate about Dr. Jeff is um, Dr. Jeff has just made up his mind as a pastor, as a man of God, that rest is important, that God rests on purpose, allows his children to rest on purpose. And if he's still doing the same thing he's done in the past, Dr. Jeff takes Monday as a time of rest and his phone will be off. And he's taking that time of rest, which is important for his body, important for his mind, important for his spirit. And so if you're to try to call him, you're going to get a voicemail that if it's an emergency, call this number, but today's my day of rest. That's important to do. God did it as, as actually a, 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 an example for his children. Did you think, you know, God didn't need rest. <laughs> you think God needs to rest? He doesn't sleep, nor does he slumber. But after he created for six days, he took the seventh day to rest. And he did that as an example to his children that you've got to rest. And it's a wise thing to do. You've got to set time apart for yourself to make sure that you're not, and if you don't direct that, see, here's the thing. And what, if you're not in the ministry, if you're watching me today or listening to me and you're not in full-time ministry, one of the things you may not know or may not understand is the ministry is not a nine to five job. It's a 24 hour, seven day a week job. And, you know, because of the fact that needs will never end, the ministry will never end. And so if you allow needs to pull you every direction, you'll burn yourself out. If you allow need, there'll always be something you could be doing. There's always going to be something you could be doing. But if you don't proactively decide, I am taking time apart to rest, then I will never get rest. And then I'll be no good to the people that I'm trying to minister to. See, and so that I use that as an example, what Dr. Jeff's practice, I use that as an example because if you don't direct your day, you will be directed. And unless you make it up in your mind and say, you know what? Today is my day of rest. Today I turn off my phone. Today I do what I plan to do and I'm not going to be interrupted. Unless you direct your day in that way, then you'll be, you'll be pulled in 24 different directions and your day will be directed for you. And that's true with everything in life is that if you don't direct it, see, because some, something's going to lead. And I want you to put that again in the comments. If you have not done this yet, my day will never direct me. I will direct my day. Something is going to lead. It's either going to be you leading or something will lead you. Either you will lead or something will lead you. That's why doing things to put joy in place, to put peace in place, to put strength in place, either you will lead that or something will pull it from you. And I'm making up in my mind, nothing will ever steal my joy. Nothing will ever steal my peace. Nothing will ever steal my strength in the mighty name of Jesus. I will walk in victory. Amen. Number five, the fifth weapon God gives us in order that, that we may uh, defeat depression and walk in overwhelming joy is soul winning. Soul winning. Soul winning. Let me read you a verse of scripture that's found in the book of Acts chapter 8. I'll read you verses 6 and 8. Listen to this. Now, let me give you the backstory here. Philip left Jerusalem because of persecution to the Christians. And Philip went to a place called Samaria. And when he got there, he just started preaching the gospel. And he started evangelizing. And as Philip is preaching, 
people start to listen to him and then people start to believe what he's preaching and then people start to be healed and demons start are, are getting cast out. So number five is soul winning. Listen to this. Crowds listened intently to Philip and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. Now, to give you just a little bit more context, and if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. It's Acts chapter 8, and uh, really starting with verse, I believe, verse 1, you can see it happening. Now, listen, verse 4, actually. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip, for when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Notice that in this city, so many people received Jesus that the people in Jerusalem heard about it, the apostles, and they sent Peter and John later in the chapter eight of, of the book of Acts. They sent Peter and John for the sole purpose of getting all those believers filled with the Holy Ghost. So I want you to see this. Salvation brought a phenomenal and great joy to those people and to that city. Soul winning. Soul winning. One of the things that the devil would love for you to uh, uh, miss out on is your calling and your purpose to reap the harvest. That's why there's so many people that are being tempted to turn Christianity inward and to make it internal. What's God going to do for me? Where's my blessing? When's my breakthrough? When's my, 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 my? When you've been anointed to go and to do what God's called you to do, you've been anointed to turn your Christianity outward and reach those who are dying and on their way to hell. And as you pursue that purpose, see the, the, the job of reaching the lost is not the pastor's job. It's not the evangelist's job. It's not the fivefold ministry's job alone. It belongs to every believer. The Bible says that we're to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Those that believe and are baptized will be saved. Those that refuse to believe will be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe, Mark chapter 16. So you understand every believer is given the task of winning souls. And as you win souls, the Bible says he that wins souls is wise. Not only is he that wins souls wise, he that wins souls is joyful. For there's a joy that comes on soul winning. In fact, did you know that when you, when you begin to win souls, you are actually causing overwhelming joy in heaven. For the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when even one soul comes to Christ. Even one. So you're not just sparking joy on the earth, but you are actually sparking joy in heaven. That's powerful because now you've got joy on two realms, joy in the heavens, joy on the earth. Hallelujah. And a joy comes upon you when you begin to win souls for Christ. There is a power. Hallelujah. Listen to this. This is a promise of Christ. I want to read you John chapter 12 and verse 32. Jesus said, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw men unto me. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw men unto me. 
And so there is a joy that comes upon you. You know, David said it this way, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You see that? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. So the reason that there's a supernatural joy that comes is because there's a joy that accompanies salvation. You know, the Lord, the Bible says, the Lord is our salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That's what the Bible says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So that means that in salvation, the Lord is present. We know that. In salvation, the Lord is present. He is our salvation. He doesn't leave us, nor does he forsake us. Now, here's the powerful thing people don't catch. The Bible says he never leaves us, never forsakes us. The Lord is our salvation. But know this, that when the Lord shows up in his presence is fullness of joy. So part of the reason that we see overwhelming joy upon soul winning is because what's happening is the presence of the Lord is coming to every one of those people. One by one, the presence of the Lord is coming to every one of those people. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And when your salvation shows up, your joy shows up. For the presence of the Lord comes to you. The presence of the Lord comes to those that you're winning for Christ. And then the joy leaps in your spirit. I have never seen somebody depressed that wins souls. And let me flip that. I've never seen somebody who wins souls depressed. You know why? There's a joy that comes activating the soul winning anointing. Hallelujah. There's a joy that comes. You ever, I don't know if you've ever read this, but when Jesus sent out the 70 to do the works that he'd called them to do, heal the sick, cast out devils, preach the gospel, they came back rejoicing and giving their testimony. Did you, do you remember that? They came back rejoicing. And Jesus said, rejoice not that devils are subject unto you, but that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, Jesus isn't telling us to not be joyful because of the fact that we're doing his work. He's telling us the more important thing to recognize and realize is that your salvation is secure. Your name is in the Lamb's book of life. You're on your way to heaven. You will spend eternity with God the Father. But notice what happened. Every one of those people, as they activated the call that was upon their life, as they activated the anointing that God had put on them to do the work, they came back from the work rejoicing. Why? Joy comes upon you. Joy comes upon you when you do the work of God. Without question, joy comes upon you when you do the work of God. Hallelujah. I feel the anointing on that. Finally, number six, let me give this to you. This is one of the most powerful. Thank you, Jose. This is one of the most powerful thoughts that the Lord has ever given me, I promise you. I had never seen this in all the years of being saved, reading the Bible, or as a minister. For the almost 20 years that I've been preaching the gospel, I had never seen this before. And then the Lord opened my eyes and began to show me this. And I'm going to share it with you today, those of you that are watching. But the number six, number six way to activate 
overwhelming joy in your life is to remain a generous giver for the rest of your life. Now, I'm going to show you some things that God showed me I had never seen. But let me start by showing you Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. This is the words of Jesus being recounted by the apostles. And I'm going to read it to you in the amplified version. But listen to what Jesus said in Acts 20, 35. It is more blessed, and then in parentheses, makes one happier and more to be envied to give than receive. It is more blessed to give than receive. But notice the amplified, makes one happier and more to be envied. One thing I want you to see, anybody on the earth can receive something, but not everybody is able to give generously. So that means that being a generous giver is actually a higher station than a receiver because anybody can receive, but not everybody can give generously. So you understand that the higher Christ is pointing this out in Acts 20, 35, the higher level is giving, not receiving the higher level is giving, not receiving. Put that in the comments, please. Giving is a higher level than the instructions of the Lord to give. Then it actually does not just eject your harvest from your life, but it ejects your joy from your life. This, this is going to, this is going to blow your mind. The Lord showed me this and I'm going to show you one other thing too, before we do anything else. (laughs) When you refuse an instruction from the Holy Spirit as to what to give, it doesn't just eject your harvest from your life. It ejects joy from your life. And in Matthew chapter nine, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus said, well, that's easy. Just, he said, just obey the, the law, obey the prophets. He said, I've done that since I was a, a young boy. And Jesus said, yes, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. That's what Jesus told him. Now, let me stop right here and give you an insight. How many other people in the New Testament did Jesus instruct to sell everything they have and give it to the poor? None, not one other person. So anybody that wants to read this passage and say, see that Jesus desire for Christians is that we be very humble, that we sell everything, make sure everything we have is given to the poor, that the excess, that we don't have excess, that, you know, anything that's greedy, that would be greedy on our behalf. We need to sell it. We need to make sure it goes to the poor. No, that is not what Jesus taught. He did teach that we should bless the poor without question. But notice this, he did not expect his followers to give away everything they had. In fact, let me make a point. Peter, who we know was one of the most powerful apostles, Peter did not sell everything he had and give it away to follow Jesus. In fact, while he was a disciple of Jesus, he had many possessions. In fact, some commentaries will tell us that he had ships up and down the shores of Galilee that were fishing vessels that were operated by people who worked for him. We know that he employed servants, number one, but also that he had boats, but also the scripture lets us know that Peter had a house that was big enough for himself, his wife, 
all the disciples, Jesus, and his mother-in-law. And that's where they abode when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. So Peter had possessions. He didn't sell everything he had in order to follow Jesus. He still had things. This is the only person in the Bible that Jesus was being held captive by his riches and by his wealth. Jesus knew that this wealthy man, as my grandfather used to preach, he'd say, this man didn't have great riches. Great riches had him. And Jesus knew it. And so Jesus tested his spirit. What do you love more? Do you love me? Do you love God? Do you love uh, my word? Or do you love your riches? And notice what the Bible says. And he went away sorrowful for he had many possessions. So I want you to see what happened. Jesus just gave him an instruction to give, but he rejected it. Well, he didn't just reject the instruction to give, and he didn't just reject his opportunity to receive a harvest, but number three, he rejected his own joy. For the Bible says as he left, he didn't go away joyful, he went away sorrowful. He went away sorrowful. You know why? Because when you miss an instruction from the Lord to give, to sow, then it removes joy from your life. Something that uh, I do want you to see, this is something that I had never seen before, and I wanted to show it to you, because I know this will stir your spirit in a huge way. Um, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. I'm going to make a point about that in just a second. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, cheerful giver. Now, when I read that verse of scripture in the New Living Translation, I saw something that I'd never seen before. And that's what I'm getting ready to share with you. I saw something that I'd never seen before. I saw that when it says, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, it was in quotation marks. And I thought to myself, what now, what in the world? And I looked back and I'd never seen that. And it was not in any other translation. I looked back and said, for God lives a person who gives cheerfully. And I realized Paul was quoting somebody. And I searched and searched and could not find who Paul was quoting. And I thought, man, I've never seen that before. You don't, you don't normally you know, think to go back and check on Paul's references or Paul's study. But as I read some commentaries, I found that when Paul was writing, not only to the Corinthians, but to some other churches, he was using a Greek version of the New Testament, what we call the Septuagint. It's called that because it was created by 70 Greek scholars who took the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew and parts of it Aramaic, and translated it for the people of that day into the Greek language. And so that's what we call, that's what the Septuagint is. Septa, that, that comes from the 70, from the, word, the, the Latin meaning 70. And so uh, it was translated by 70 scholars into the Greek language. Well, Paul was carrying this around with him. And as he's writing to these churches, he's using the Greek version of the New Testament. And when I looked at the footnote, it said that Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 8, there's an additional proverb in the Greek version, which says, God, now I'm just going to quote it to you from, from memory. You can find it in a New Living Translation. It says, God loves 
a person who gives cheerfully, but his worthless deeds will come to an end. Or excuse me, God blesses a person who gives cheerfully, but his worthless deeds will come to an end. When I saw that, and saw that Paul was not just saying something in passing, he was teaching them a vital lesson. He was teaching them a vital lesson. He was saying, if you give reluctantly, or if you give in response to pressure, then it takes your seed and turns it into a worthless deed. As Proverbs 22.8 in the Greek says, his worthless deeds will come to an end. So what happens is when the joy of your giving is stolen from you by manipulation or pressure, then it turns your seed into a donation. And donations do not have a harvest that comes back. Donations do not have a return. Once they're gone, they're gone. This is not the Salvation Army. This is not goodwill. This is not some other uh, nonprofit corporation. The body of Christ, the kingdom of God, receives seed because we have harvest coming back to us. So understand the devil knows that and does not want you to receive your harvest and the joy of your giving. So what does he do? He tries to steal from you the joy of giving by adding manipulation and pressure and destroying the reputation of the message of blessing and prosperity. If you look around, especially our country and other countries, how vilified is the message of blessing and prosperity? How much do you see people getting mocked and getting ridiculed for believing in the prosperity gospel? There's no such thing as the prosperity gospel. There's just the gospel, which includes prosperity. It's one of the things Jesus died for. But if the devil can get us to stop believing it and start to hate it and reject it and then get us to miss out on our instructions or get us to respond in pressure or manipulation, the joy of our giving's gone. And God can't bless that because it turns your seed into a worthless deed. And let me show you something that'll stir your spirit. I have my iPad here as well because I want to read you something. Um, I don't have a King James Bible uh, in this room with me right now, but I do have it on my, uh, on my iPad. And I wanted you to see this because this will, when I, in fact, let me say it this way. When I saw this, I was in a meeting in, in Washington, D.C. with Bishop David Oyedepo. And he read this scripture. And I had never seen it in this way before. And it was, it hit, and you guys, those of you that know me, you know I'm not a crier. I don't cry. I shout, dance, run, jump. That's the kind of believer I am. But when I saw this, it hit my spirit so hard that I began to cry. That's how hard it hit me. And uh, I want to read it to you. It's found in the book of Joel, chapter 1 and verse 12. Listen to this. The vine is dried up and the fig tree languishes. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, and all the trees of the field are withered. Look, here's why. Because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Do you see that? All the trees are withered away because joy is withered away from the sons of men. The devil knows that if he can steal your joy, he can destroy your harvest in the field before you can reap it. If he can take the joy of your giving away from you, he can destroy your harvest in the field 
before you can reap it. But when you keep the joy of giving intact, as Paul taught, it was a warning. Notice it was a powerful warning to God's people. Stay in joy as you give. Don't give in response to manipulation or pressure from the outside. No, that's why he said, you've got to listen to the spirit for yourself and make a decision joyfully to give. You've got to make a decision joyfully to give. Not in, I've been in those services, I'm sure you have where they take three hours. I believe there's 40 people in here going to give a thousand. I believe there's a hundred people in here going to give a hundred and they sit there and drag it out for an hour. Nobody's coming to the altar to do it. I'm not going to be manipulated into giving. I'm not going to be pressured into giving. Do you know what? The Holy Spirit speaks to me as much as he speaks to anybody. As my father's preached for years, God does not have an unlisted phone number. You can speak to him for yourself. You can speak to him for yourself. And so I want the Holy Spirit to speak to me about my giving so that when I hear what he's saying, I can joyfully step out and do what he has called me to do in joy and in peace. And when I give in joy, my seed stays a seed and the devil can't steal the joy of my giving, which means he can't go into my future and destroy my harvest and wither my trees in the field. In fact, God said, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Hallelujah. I'll rebuke him for your sake. And the blessing and the joy of giving comes upon you and it stirs up your joy. Let me show you something really powerful. Um, there's a story in 1 Chronicles 29. And uh, this, by the way, to my knowledge, is the biggest offering ever given in the history of the world. I'm going to show it to you right here. In fact, those of you that are still watching, I want you to put this in the comments. My, the joy of my giving will never be stolen. I want you to write it by faith. The joy of my giving will never be stolen. Put it by faith. You are going to always have harvest coming in. You'll always have open doors. The joy of my giving will never be stolen in Jesus' name. Now, King David had been king for all those years, and the, the temple of God was getting ready to be built, but God said, you can't build it, but I'm going to let your son, King Solomon, build it. I'm going to let your son, King Solomon, build it. And David said, well, if I can't build it, I'm going to give and sow seeds in order to build it. And so what did he do? The Bible says he started to gather his gold and silver and his bronze, iron, wood, onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels and fine stone and marble. He was taking this, by the way, from his own personal treasury, not Israel's treasury. This was David's stuff he was giving. This was David's stuff. And all total, I want you to see this. David gave 112 tons of gold. <laughs> I mean, think about this. David gave 112 tons of gold. 262 tons of refined silver. Now, the offering that David gave just in gold and silver is valued at almost six billion, with a B, dollars today. Six billion dollars just by himself. Now watch this. The Bible says that when his elders started seeing him give, they got inspired and they began to give. The elders saw David's personal seeds and said, we're going to give like David's giving. And by the time his elders got done giving, think about this. 
The Bible says that the offering, and I calculated into today's finance, the offering that went forward to build the temple of God was $20 billion. $20 billion just from David and his elders. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh man, they gave 188 tons of gold, 375 tons of refined silver, 675 tons of bronze and precious stones and everything else. 20 billion. That's so much money that people don't understand how much money it is. But let me just give you uh, something so that you'll know. Yankee Stadium that they built cost $1.5 billion to build, which means with what they built the temple with, you could build Yankee Stadium 13 times and still have $500 million left over. That's how much they gave to build the temple of God. Now, I want you to see the result of what happened once they gave. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 9. Look at this. The people rejoiced over the offerings for they had given freely. Do you see that? They had given freely, not under pressure, not under manipulation. They had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And King David was filled with joy. Hallelujah. King David was filled with joy. I feel the Holy Ghost on that. He was filled with joy. How? By generous giving. You'd think, man, if somebody gave that much money, they'd be depressed about how much money was leaving their life. No, not when you're a generous giver, not when you understand the power of God, not when you understand how God's system works, not when you understand how the kingdom works. And when you understand God is looking for people whose hearts are turned toward him, loyal to him, the Bible says, so that he can come and show himself strong and mighty on their behalf. And when God finds people like that, the joy of his spirit hits them as it did for King David and for all of the elders and all of the people that had given offerings. Joy had come upon them. And because their joy didn't leave them, their harvest could come. Hallelujah. Number six, remaining generous in your giving keeps the joy of the Lord in your spirit. Remaining generous in your giving keeps the joy of the Lord in your spirit. I want to pray here at the end of the broadcast because I understand that there may be people watching me now live or on the replay or listening to this later that you've been battling depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts in your life. And it's an attack from the devil. It's an attack from the devil. That's why I wanted to take these two days to teach you from the word of God how to jump into overwhelming joy and to stay there and to stay there. And to walk in that freedom on a daily basis. But I'm going to pray and I'm going to rebuke that attack of the enemy that's come against your life. What the Bible calls a spirit of heaviness, I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to destroy that thing. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Do you know who his enemies are? Anything or anyone that stands against his children that are in covenant with him. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered scattered. In fact, by faith, before we even pray, I want you to put it in the comments right now. I will walk in overwhelming joy for the rest of my days. I want you to write it. I want you to write it. Which scripture are you asking for, Jose? I was in 1 Chronicles 29, 
talking about David's giving. But I want you to write in the comments section, I want you to write, I will walk in overwhelming joy for the rest of my days by faith. No matter what's going on in your life right now, I want you to write it. I want you to put it in the comments by faith and make a declaration. These things will not hold me in bondage. I will walk in overwhelming joy for the rest of my days. Father, in Jesus' name, for every person that's watching this broadcast live or on the replay, or maybe they're listening to me, I pray now every attack of the enemy that's come against God's people, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ. I command it to loose its grip from their life today in Jesus' name and let them go. Let God arise in that home. Let God arise in their life, in their mind, and let every enemy be scattered in the mighty name of Jesus. Let every enemy be scattered in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I loose joy of the Holy Ghost to you wherever you are right now. I loose the peace of God into your spirit no matter where you are right now. Lord, from this day forward, forward. I ask you to put them into a place of overwhelming joy in Jesus' name. Overwhelming joy in the mighty name of Jesus. We declare joy will not be touched in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for every person that's giving. There's multiple ways that you can sow a seed today. If you'd like to do it in, in uh, Facebook, you can put hashtag donate into the comments section and follow the link to give and sow your seed there. If you'd like to give on our website, you can go to miracleword.com and sow a seed right there on the website or partner with us there. Finally, two of my favorite ways to give to ministries are by PayPal or the Cash App. And if you'd like to give to us via PayPal, the email address is simply info at miracleword.com. That's our PayPal email, info at miracleword.com. If you'd like to use the cash app, which is becoming quickly one of my favorite things to use, it's dollar sign miracle word. That's how you give to us in the cash app. And I want to stop and say thank you to every person that's sowing and standing with us. Hear the Holy Spirit. In fact, we're going to pray right now one more time, but now we're asking the Lord to speak a word to us because what's more important than anything else is to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and let him guide you and to let him guide you. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to every man and woman today. Give them an instruction in their spirit as to what you'd have them to sow and to give into this ministry. And Father, I ask you now for every person that's sowing and standing with us, I pray that you'd open the windows of heaven over their house. I pray that you would bless them abundantly. Lord, as you heard me say at the beginning of this this broadcast, that Lord, if you don't bless them, don't bless me. Let the blessing of heaven come upon their lives in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I pray that their children will never know lack. Their children will never know want. Their grandchildren will never know lack or want, but their family will be abundantly blessed. No debt hanging over their head. They'll be the lender and not the borrower in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you and we give you praise for it. Now, whatever the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you personally to do, take a step of faith today and sow that seed. You can do it in the comments, on the website, via PayPal, via the Cash App, and we appreciate you. Listen, for those of you that are extremely old school and you like to write a check and mail it, you can mail it to our office, P.O. Box 65116, 
Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23467. That address also is on the website if you, if you can't remember it or, or you can't write it down quick enough. It's at miracleword.com. At the very bottom of the page, you can see our physical address as well. We love you guys so much. Any questions today before we log off um, and give you the rest of the day? I pray you have a powerful Wednesday. I don't know where you go to church, but I hope you're going to church tonight to get filled up with the word of God, be around fellow believers. Any questions at all before we uh, move forward? As, as you're uh, getting ready to write, let me quickly remind you again, Miracle Word Magazine's coming out. If you're not on the list, jump on. You can go to miracleword.com forward slash live, <laughs> Brittany, and sign up there to receive it. Love you, Al. Thanks for hanging with me. Appreciate you uh, to get it there. And uh, we will quickly ship that out to you as well. Any questions at all today before you guys go? The Cash App. No, no. The Cash App is like taking over, Danielle. I don't know if you've seen it, but like it's it's killing. I think it's even starting to get uh, more traction than PayPal. It's it's quite a. It's super easy to use, but um, they also are now providing like an actual card you can get so that you can load. Um, cash in that app, but then use an actual card they send you to swipe or wherever you go. Um, it's, it's actually a pretty amazing, pretty amazing, uh, app. I'm starting to use it for a lot more stuff now as well. Bonnie, have a great day. Love you guys. All right. We'll come back. What I'm hoping, what I'm hoping is this is that by Friday morning, if that's what it's called, what do you, what do you call it, Danielle? It's called the, it's called the cash app. I don't, I don't know what else you would call it. That's what they call it. Um, what I'm believing for is that by Friday, if you guys can help me, reach out on social media. I'm hoping Carolyn will be back with me on Friday morning for another Q&A session. That went extremely well last time, and I enjoyed doing it, and so did she, and so did a lot of you guys. You wrote us in and told us, please do it again. So, um, oh, the cash out. <laughs> I, I got it. Um, so, Reach out to her, encourage her. She's busy, but let's get her back on Friday for a Q&A session, Breakthrough Friday. <laughs> I love you guys a lot, man. I appreciate you. I'll be back again tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m. That's right. We love Carolyn. 10.30 a.m. And uh, don't miss it. I love you guys. Have a powerful Wednesday, and I'll see you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.